looking at sleepers and breakouts today. The point of today's show, guys who are going to exceed their draft value. We can debate the semantics of what's a sleeper, what's a breakout, but the point is these are guys you want to target in your drafts. You can get them later than where they should be going. They're going to play very well this year, and you're going to be very happy drafting them. Adam Azer, Scott White, Al Melchior. It is Thursday, the 8th of March, getting ready for March Madness. Michigan's pretty good, Al. What's up with that? Yeah, what is up with that? Yeah, I mean, I have to readjust. It's been a long time since Michigan's been this good. It'll be a long time until Georgia's good, right, Scott? It's been a long time since Georgia's been good. (laughs) Yeah. I actually don't know anything about them this year. There's not much to know, Adam. Fair enough. Well, here's what you need to know about Miami. If they win two games in the ACC tournament, they should be in the big dance. College basketball time, but also fantasy baseball time and podcast league time. It is a 12-team, head-to-head league. Now, we thought we were going to have nine listeners joining us. We're only going to have eight because we're actually getting a new writer coming on uh, in the next couple of weeks. You're going to hear him on the podcast, so we're very excited about that. He's going to be in the podcast league as well. But uh, another member of our staff, and I think uh, he'll add a lot to the show. He'll add a lot to the website. Are we ready to reveal the nine or the eight lucky... Everybody's going to think they were that ninth guy. That's right. Everybody was that ninth guy. They're 100% right. So, all right, we did it uh, randomly today. We got a random number generator, and it took us about five minutes, and we got eight people, and here we go. Neil Oliver from Fort Lauderdale, you are our first podcast leaguer. Now, we are a little disappointed, I would say, that we didn't get any like fun emails, right? Like all these I'm people. Sure just, we got. We did get a lot, yeah. but we didn't pick any of them. I mean, we could look at the other way and say that, you know, we've. Got a bunch of people here who were very concise and to the point. That's true. And just were very efficient. Ga- we- yeah. Our next guy, though, Gavin Tramps, gave us a little bit of uh, color. Gavin Tramps, welcome to the league. He says, come on, guys. A Brit working in Italy is the guy you need in your podcast league to prevent Scott making it three in a row. I don't know what advantage he has being a Brit working in Italy. He, he, has, also, he, has, he yeah. has a disadvantage, actually, because he's going to be drafting at an odd time compared to yeah, everybody else. Oh, I thought you were going to say because he's going to be targeting Alex Liddy or something. Yeah, maybe that, too. And also because he kind of pissed Scott off this morning because he spelled Scott's name with one T. Don't, don't ever do that. So now, Gavin, Scott's gunning for you. <laughs> uh, next up, Todd Irons. Guys, I've been in fantasy baseball for 25 years. Please consider me for a good challenge. 25 years. Pretty impressive. That's almost as old as me and Scott. So good luck to Todd Irons. He says, go Tigers. Um, so now we have a Tigers fan. Which Tigers? I would assume Detroit. Um, there's a Japanese team, the Tigers, right? Oh, I, yeah. I, I, was, I was still in college basketball mode, I guess. Oh, no. I so, don't think he's a Missouri fan. Right. I believe this is a Detroit Tigers. Okay, that makes so, yeah, sense. Reference. It is a baseball podcast. <laughs> After all. <laughs> Scott Moore, you are in the league. Scott says, I will prevail. <laughs> well, you have a good first name. <laughs> See, that, again, but, concise. Yeah. Adam Straw said nothing, but you're in the league. Richard Gintout, keep up the good work. Thanks for your consideration. You're in the league, Richard. Davis Galgano, you're in the league. And a guy who actually I randomly selected his email to read on the show today. Jacob Rosen, you are in the league. He says, come on, you guys know you want an avid Orioles fan who will reach for an underperforming player like Nolan Reimold. That's exactly what we need. That is. That's what we look for in the <laughs> podcast league. So congratulations to everybody. And we do want Orioles fans because if you're an avid Orioles fan, that means you're like a huge baseball fan. You know what I mean? Like if people are like, oh, I'm a huge Yankees fan. I met a lot of people like that. Then whatever. They're just front runners. Orioles fans. <laughs> 
not long every huge, suffering. Not every huge Yankees fan is a front runner, but some of them are sad to say. But Orioles fans, no, those guys are legit. So, uh, so yeah, you eight guys, I will be sending you an email and an email invite shortly. So look out for that. We'll settle on a draft date and get this thing going. We sure will. Follow us on Twitter at CBS Fantasy BB at CBS Scott White with two T's in Scott. At Al Melk CBS, Al M E L C CBS, at Adam Azer, A I Z E R, Facebook.com slash CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball, and put podcast in the subject line and send us an email, fantasy baseball at cbsinteractive.com. News and notes before we get into the sleepers and breakouts, we'll do busts in a separate podcast. Uh, you Darvish. A lot of buzz about him now. Scott Miller, one of our senior baseball writers, saw his performance. Scouts said he threw six different pitches. Your Vittorialba says he throws seven different pitches. Kind of reminds me of the Dice K hype when he was coming over here. Uh, Torrealba joked, at one point I was thinking about taking my glove off and using two hands. That would be two <laughs> flash signals for, uh, for New Darvish. And he threw from 67 miles per hour to 95 miles per hour. Right now he is going in the fifth round in head-to-head leagues. In the eighth round in Roto Leagues, Scott, could he fit in this sleeper's category or is he being drafted appropriately i think he could absolutely fit in the sleepers category uh if he if he actually goes in the fifth round um yeah he's not going to be a sleeper i wouldn't do that but i've seen a lot in in a lot of the expert leagues i've been drafting in people there's enough skepticism with him that he's been falling uh to that eighth round range maybe even the ninth or tenth round range and at that point you know, I have him tiered in that group uh, where I like to target my top pitchers, that Madison Bumgarner, Matt Latos, Ricky Romero group. Uh, to me, he's right there with them. The Cubs may sign Cuban outfielder outfielder Jorge Soler. Does that matter? He's a young guy, unlike Suspedes, so I don't know if he's major league ready. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, so it matters in keeper leagues, but not likely for this year. Very disappointing to see Jose Canseco will not be playing Mexican League baseball. How like how many performance enhancing drugs can one guy take? Apparently a lot. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable with him. He banned from uh, from the Mexican League now or at least not playing. I'm not sure officially if he's banned. And MLB.com is reporting the Nationals may trade John Lannon by opening day. Al, what do you think about that? I think that's no surprise whatsoever because they've got too many pitchers for the rotation. He's the most obvious guy to jettison, uh, be sort of a waste. I think he does have options, but I think it would be a big waste to send him to the minors. He has trade value. There's a lot of teams that Atlanta could help, so it's worth keeping an eye on him. For fantasy purposes, is he a league-only guy or a mixed-league guy? Mainly league-only guy. I mean, I like him maybe a little better than most, so I think uh, deeper mixed leagues, he's potentially relevant there. Let's get into the sleepers and breakouts. So we have a, a lot of guys here. We're not going to talk about every one. And I know that we talked sleepers, breakouts, and busts on every position preview. Never hurts to reinforce some, f- some information. And this will give us a chance to go further in depth on a lot of these guys, especially the ones that you two disagree on. Scott, we'll start with your sleepers. Why don't you go ahead and read this big, long list. Big, long. And then we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll highlight certain guys. But uh, go ahead and read them slowly for our listeners here. All right, we have Ryan Domit, Adam Lind, Daniel Murphy, D. Gordon, Yunel Escobar, Marco Scudero, Lucas Duda, Dexter Fowler, Alejandro De Aza, Diane Viciedo, John Mayberry, Francisco Liriano, Phil Hughes, Mike Leake, Scott Baker, Javi Guerra, 
and Addison Reed. I want to start with Francisco Liriano. I wish we had spoken about him more in the starting pitchers preview. I think you said you don't really have a great reason for making him a sleeper, but you like him. Yeah, I, the main reason is that this time last year, we were talking about him as a borderline ace. He was coming off a 200-strikeout season, and uh, obviously he's always had great stuff and, and really seemed like he put it together. Last year, he had some injury issues, had some control issues, things that in my mind seem overcomable. And uh, considering now, based on the drafts I've been a part of, he's pretty much a forgotten man. You can get him late, certainly for your bench as a bench option in head-to-head leagues. And if that's the case, if you're not relying on him as an every-week guy, why not go for it? You know what kind of potential he has. Uh, I think uh, I think sleeper is, is the perfect way to describe him. Okay. Al, do you disagree? Uh, you know, I disagree, but I'm actually going to start with a point that supports what Scott says, which is in the middle of the season last year, he actually performed like the guy that he was two years ago. So it's not like he's totally lost it. That said, he had so many problems with injuries last year and so much inconsistency that, um, I mean, Scott's right. There's no risk in taking him very, very late, but I'm not reaching for him any earlier than, than the final couple of rounds. Yeah, in head-to-head leagues, he's going around round 14 or 15. Um, would you rather take a shot on him or Johan Santana? Ooh, I think Liriano. You know, I think pretty similar risk in both cases, but a little more for Santana. And Scott agrees with you there. Okay, Adam Lind. Al, you don't agree with him as a sleeper. No, I don't. I just, I really don't like the power trends that he's shown. And, you know, this is a guy who doesn't have the greatest patience and, you know, isn't going to steal bases. So, I mean, if he's not producing, I'd say at least 20 homers and 20, 25 doubles, he's not going to do much for you as a fantasy first baseman. I don't have a lot of confidence that he can reach either of those marks this year. And that makes sense when comparing Lynn's full season numbers. But when you break down last season, um, you know, kind of on a month-by-month basis. At the All-Star break, we were talking about Lind like, oh, man, we can't believe anyone doubted him coming into the year. He's he's back to being the same guy he was in 2009, was hitting 300 with an 865 OPS. Ended up hitting 197 the rest of the way, and a big reason why was he got hit by a pitch on the wrist in August, was playing through pain the rest of the season, and to me that kind of reminds me of Ben Zobra's situation two years ago where he had a neck issue he was dealing with for the second half of the season, hit under 200. People were worried about him going into the new year. He bounced back and and, and ended up being a high-end fantasy option again. So that potential is still there for Lind. He's going on average in the 16th round in both head-to-head and roto. I really don't see the risk at that point. Would you rather have him or a guy who's going just after him, Lucas Duda? I know you love, I know you love Lucas Duda. <laughs> well, I, I, I did list Lucas Duda on my sleepers also. And yes, I would take Duda because I think the inherent skill set is better with the plate discipline there. Adam Lind or Justin Morneau, Al? Morneau. Scott? See, I'd take Lind because I, I, there's way, way more risk for Morneau. Okay, how about Marco Scudero and Yunel Escobar, two guys who are on your sleepers list here. Uh, Scudero is going one pick ahead of Yunel Escobar. Who do you like better in head-to-head leagues? Yunel. I like Yunel better. I'm actually surprised to hear he's going a pick ahead of uh, Escobar because I saw Scudero as as kind of a completely off-the-radar sleeper type. Clearly that's not the case. Um, Yunel Escobar, I feel like he already did last year what he needs to be to do 
what he needs to do to be a starting caliber uh, shortstop in, in any format. All he needs to do is repeat that performance with the extra base power, the high batting average, the good walk rate, all of that. Scudero um, obviously wasn't a full-timer all of last year, but when he was, he was surprisingly uh, relevant in, in, in head-to-head leagues because for similar reasons, uh, extra base power, ability to get on base. And now he's going to Colorado where he's going to be playing every day and hitting ahead of Carlos Gonzalez and Troy Tulowitzki. So I think he's in a great situation to score runs. Neither I don't like either as much in Roto because they're not going to steal many bases and uh, neither has much home run power. Escobar obviously has a little more. And so that's why I give him the advantage in both formats. Al, you have any issues with Escobar and Scudero as sleepers? No, actually, I like them both. And uh, they may be the only shortstop show that I can think of, especially beyond the, the top guys that walk. I mean, because you, you notice that you get down to the Eric Ibars and the D Gordons. None of those guys, guys walks. That's another thing that oh, that's a good point. really gives them a big edge in head-to-head or in Roto Leagues uh, that use on base percentage. Let's go to a couple of outfielders here. Start with Dexter Fowler. He's one of Scott's sleepers. Dexter Fowler is going in about the 19th round in head-to-head leagues. What do you like about him? That he's going in the 19th round <laughs> in head-to-head leagues. No, actually, I can kind of lump Fowler and Alejandro de Aza together here because there's a lot of players out there that I compare to Shane Victorino and the reason for that is that's such a specific prototype in my mind. Doesn't really excel in any one area, but is so good across the board that he ends up being basically an elite option. And I think both Fowler and Deaza have that same potential. Fowler, the biggest change he made last year was he went down to the minors for a stretch, retooled his stance from the left-handed side, uh, which was never very good in the first place. There were times where they talked about him becoming ex- exclusively a right-handed hitter. Uh, but he worked on that, and when he came back up um, for in the second half, I don't think I think it was a week into the second half. He he hit 297 with a 901 OPS the rest of the way. 21 doubles, 10 triples, five homers just during that stretch alone. Also had nine steals during that stretch. Um, so while with his strikeout rate, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a 297 hitter over the full season. With that extra base power, the fact he's just now entering his prime could lead to more homers. Uh, the fact that he does have some steals potential there. The fact that he walks a decent amount. All that, to me, makes him a guy you're going to be starting every week in a head-to-head league. And obviously you can get him very late. I do want to point out one thing about Fowler, though, because I agree with Almost every single thing that you said, but the stolen bases, I'm afraid that people will draft him for stolen base potential, but he's got a really poor success rate. So I actually could see him losing steals, even though he will gain, I think, in just about every other category. I know that uh, you guys disagreed on John Mayberry. He's one of Scott's sleepers. And Al, what was your argument that he's just too far along in his career? Yeah, too far along in his career to buy such a dramatic jump in his home run power, and especially since that was based on 267 at-bats last season, which is, it sounds like a nice sample size, but it's really too small to draw a good conclusion. So, and, And the one thing I also looked at was maybe he had a favorable home park split there. But really, his power was equally distributed home and away. So I just, to me, um, I think if you're drafting him for that kind of power, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I think that seems like a, a good thing, though, knowing that the Citizens Bank, obviously a favorable hitter's park. 
Right, but you're chopping that into a couple of samples of you know a little over 100 bats a piece. It's true. That's but, not trustworthy. But small, there is a sample there. It's it's relatively small, but it's it's there. And combining that with the fact he's a former first round pick, um, and both uh, general manager Ruben Amaro and manager Charlie Manuel have compared Mayberry to Jason Worth. Um, this he's following the same pattern, a late bloomer who obviously had. Uh, was highly uh, highly regarded when he was drafted, and then once he got a chance to start for the Phillies, he took off. and And I think for a late round pick, uh, there, there's enough things to like about Mayberry that he's absolutely worth it to me. Let's move on to your breakouts here, and uh, go go ahead and uh, read your breakout list, Scott. Okay, um, Matt Weeders, Jesus Montero, Eric Hosmer. Ike Davis, Dustin Ackley, Jamile Weeks, Emilio Bonifacio, Emilio, <laughs> Brett Laurie, Desmond Jennings, Logan Morrison, Madison Bumgarner, Michael Pineda, Matt Moore, Anibal Sanchez, Brandon Morrow, and Sergio Santos. Now, I will say that I only follow one of those guys on Twitter, but I can't imagine anybody's better than Logan Morrison. He, he really is very funny. With, with Twitter, is he not? No, he is. He's, Al loves he's, Twitter. He's a Twitter all-star, and I do love Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Scott and me, Scott and I, we don't love Twitter so much. Do you, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it, it has its uses. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it is useful. But I mean, yeah. Al like, loves Twitter. He's always like... Yeah, I'm, I'm not a guy who, who follows players just to see what they're going to say. Kind of. Yeah, Lomo's one of the only... I actually don't follow, follow that many, but he was an early follow for me, and he hasn't disappointed. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll talk about... Eric Hosmer. So Eric Hosmer is a guy that Scott feels very confident waiting for when it comes to first baseman. In head-to-head leagues, he is going in the seventh round, uh, 77th overall. I think I'm doing my math right. Um, Yes, that would be the seventh round, middle of the seventh round. Um, And Al, you're not quite as convinced about Hosmer, but I will actually let Scott kick off the debate here. Yeah, I think the main thing with Hosmer when he first came up, looking at his track record in the minors, you knew he was going to hit for average right away. He did that, hit two ninety three as a rookie. No worries there. Uh, I think the fact that he developed power so early in his career is is a great sign for for this year and the the years in the near future here. Uh, kind of hit a wall his second month up last year. Didn't have any homers that month but then hit 14 in his final 317 at-bats, which is, you know, uh, 25 to 30 homer pace over a full season, and then uh, really took off over his final 34 games, hit 357 with nine home runs and 965 o- a 965 OPS, which were the same kind of numbers he was putting up in the minors. Now, a player that young with that upside... You know, obviously that 34-game stretch at the end of the season is a small sample, but it could also be const- – <laughs> you could also see it as him, once he got on his feet under him in the majors, him taking off and, and living up to his potential. And, and I feel like this is, is similar to uh, the year Joey Votto had, his first full season in the majors, when the next year he ended up with a 950 OPS for the season and, and was a stud. I see Hosmer following that same pattern. And, and yeah, I'm – I'm just a little concerned about the power for Hosmer. And, and, you know, Scott, you do point out that, uh, you know, he had a, a good surge in the late season. But there's one number that stands out for me. He had only three home runs 
at Kauffman Stadium all year last year. And this is a guy who, again, his best minor league power numbers came in double A when he was hitting at a good home run park. So he seems to be pretty uh, vulnerable to, to the park factors. Now, and he's not a big fly ball hitter, so he's somebody who could, I could see him developing power, but I just don't see enough there to expect him to do it, you know, this year when, again, he's still just 22. Um, I'm just, I, I want to see more from Hosmer before I go all in and, and draft him as, you know, say a second tier first baseman. Would you rather have, if you miss out on the elite first baseman, Hosmer in the seventh round or Freddie Freeman in the 13th round? Yeah, see, for this year, I think Freeman is a safer and probably a better value uh, if you wait till the 13th round. I just feel like that's overdrafting for Hosmer. I know Scott didn't like Freeman. He thinks he's a bust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for My argument for Freeman is, is close to the same as Al's for Hosmer, <laughs> but obviously Hosmer going much earlier than Freeman. Now, uh, this will be a tougher one for you, Scott, because Ike Davis is one of your breakouts too. Would you rather have Hosmer in the 7th or Ike Davis in the 13th round? I still go Hosmer because the thing about it is, even if he's the same as he was last year, that's still a starting caliber first baseman of fantasy. Ike Davis certainly has that potential, but with the Valley Fever, the coming back from the ankle injury, there's a lot more risk there. Yeah, let's talk about that. What's this Valley Fever issue? Well, it's a, it's a fungal infection in the lungs that often happens to people living in the desert. Uh, Ike Davis makes his offseason home in Arizona, and, and apparently he came down with this. The... Most noticeable case, the most notable case as far as fantasy owners are concerned was Connor Jackson, who got it in 2009. And before that, he was a viable starter in fantasy. Hasn't been the same since. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of concern there. But just reading about Valley Fever, how common it is, um, the fact that Ike Davis has no outward symptoms, isn't feeling fatigued, isn't having any trouble breathing, nothing like that. Um, and and that's common for it. I, I think it's it's just a very different case for him. There's there's different extents of this illness. Obviously, Connor Jackson's was much worse than Ike Davis's, um, and, and I'm not I'm not really that concerned about it until I start hearing reports of him being fatigued and, and all of that. Fair enough. Moving on, Brandon Morrow is one of Scott's breakouts. Al, what says Mister Melchior? Mr. Melker says, I'm not touching Brandon Morrow in any <laughs> league uh, outside of an ale-only one. And, Morrow or Liriano? Uh, boy, you know what? Liriano. <laughs> okay. Liriano. Oh, wow. Yeah, that I'm is, really, really down that on, is depressing. <laughs> on Brandon Morrow. Um, yeah, I just because at least Liriano, I mean, he has shown that he, he showed two years ago he could be a near ace. Last year in the middle of the season, he showed he could be a near ace if he's healthy. I love that upside. Brandon Morrow still has to prove that he can live up to the potential that he has and that he can take that great strikeout rate and convert it into something that makes him something even close to an elite or even middle-of-the-rotation guy in fantasy. But he's just got these chronic problems with stranding base runners. I also saw an interesting uh, stat a day or two ago that last year he got only only, I think, one grounded into a double play the whole season. Wow. Now, that you could say that's a bad luck thing, but Wait. this is a guy who just Strand- doesn't seem to do well when, he, when, he's got guys, when he's got guys on base. Stranding base runners? Oh, you mean he allows he, he runners? Allows, he gets, puts okay. guys, and then he lets them score. So 
he has a problem stranding base runners. He allows. Yeah. He doesn't strand base. Runners. I probably should have put that differently. Okay. But yeah. He. Um, no. That. Okay. No. Yeah. I. I follow. He that. loves base runners. He doesn't his, want them to go crazy, anywhere. His ERA. No. Was, he does. He, he says, <laughs> "Go, go home. Go to home plate." <laughs> I like being out of the stretch. Go ahead. His ERA was like four seventy five last year, which is obviously very high. Uh, but you look at his one point two nine WHIP. Th- they really don't belong together but you know if you if you bring up the the stranded base runners argument it, it makes sense that that would happen for Morrow the main thing i like about him is control was his issue early on took a, another big step forward as far as that goes last year lowest walk rate uh, still led the AL in strikeout rate so obviously he didn't lose anything there added another 30 innings so if he continues that trend he's going to get over 200 this year and i just feel like oh, yeah maybe he's had some issues um with allowing with not stranding runners but i i kind of do feel like it's it's a fluky thing um because a strikeout pitcher it just doesn't make sense for one thing And, and and another thing a big reason his era was so high was because he had a couple of terrible starts where he just wasn't clearly wasn't locating well and you take those two starts out, his ERA was pretty much an even four. You know, high threes with his strikeout rate, assuming he does get to the 200-inning level, that that's plenty good enough for him to be a top 30 option, probably. Morrow or Buckholz? Oh, Buckholz. I'll take Morrow. Morrow or Jurgens? I'll take Morrow again. Yeah, that one's a little tougher for me. Um, I just I worry about Jurgens staying healthy. Oh boy, neither. I have, I have to pick one, don't <laughs> He's I? He's passing on both. I, I I will pass on both. Um, yeah, I probably would go Jurgens. By Morrow or Cahill. Morrow or Cahill. and Cahill definitely. So I'll take Morrow still. Yeah, and Morrow. I like Cahill. So, uh, and then finally, two of Scott's breakouts: Pineda or Bumgarner. They're going one spot, um, one spot after you know Pineda, one spot behind Bumgarner and Roto. Who do you like better? I'll take Bumgarner because he's... Heck he's, yeah, we're taking Bumgarner. Yeah, he's already reached that point with the innings. Got over 200 last year. Uh, Pinedo obviously still has yet to get there. Um, I, you know, I kind of feel like Bumgarner's already broken out. A lot of fantasy owners didn't notice because he got off to such a slow start and because he didn't get much run support with the Giants, but that could easily change. Uh, he's going year. after John Lester, Steven Strasburg, Giovanni Gallardo, and James Shields. I like him... More than some of those, more than Strasburg, and uh, about the same as most of those others. Yeah, not much after. I mean, right in the same cluster. Al, you're up. You ready? All right, let's do it. We're uh, we're putting in the the pinch hitter here. Al's turn. <laughs> sleepers and breakouts. Go ahead and read your sleepers. All right. Yeah, this is more kind of like sleepers and breakouts, greatest hits. So the <laughs> the list is not as uh, as comprehensive as Scott's, uh, but these are probably my favorites. Uh, so sleepers: uh, Yadier Molina, Drew Stubbs. Martin Prado, Austin Jackson, Kelly Johnson, Alex Avila, Jonathan Neese, Ryan Dempster, Bartolo Colon. A uh, guy I've talked about a lot, Henderson Alvarez. And I do have on my little list here, parenthetically, not so sure he's a sleeper anymore. Yeah. He's going higher in drafts than I would have guessed. And uh, finally, Homer Bailey. Henderson Alvarez or Brandon Marlow? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. They're, I mean, they're probably going a lot. Yeah, I differently mean, in drafts. Exactly. I mean, honestly, choice. honestly, I would go Morrow because my my calling Alvarez uh, a sleeper is that I anticipated he would be strictly an AL only guy coming into this oh, year, but yeah. he's not really being drafted that way. He's still a late rounder yeah. in mixed leagues. 
Yeah, but yeah, so, not just AL only. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a it was a dumb comparison. Just a little joke there. Let's start with Austin Jackson though. Scott just Scott just can't get on board. So no. what, what's your case, Al? <laughs> <laughs> Already Scott's waving his arms, dismissing the argument yet to be made here. All right. So no, my my thing with Austin Jackson is that I don't think at least this year he's going to get back to where he was in the rookie in his rookie season where he just had a crazy crazy babe up and line drive rate but the guy is a good proven line drive hitter last year to me was equally if not more of a fluke than his rookie season so I think Jackson will have a significant batting average rebound maybe in the 280s this year um, and he's got developing power he um, hit more home runs last year we saw when he was in double a uh, he hit in a very difficult uh, home park and and put up some nice power numbers there. So I just I, he's a young guy who I think could take a step forward, and it could be this year. And if nothing else, you're going to get uh, a higher batting average and more stolen bases from from Jackson. So to you, is he uh, a number three outfielder? Absolutely, even in head to head because okay. of the the burgeoning power. Well, you know, Scott, he's going to have to get some pitches to hit. You don't want to you don't want to walk him and pitch to the other guys in that lineup. <laughs> That's true, but, but but at the same time, as much as he strikes out. <laughs> Well, I think he's capable of hitting 280. I have a hard time trusting him to do that. And he's not as far along, I think, as a guy like Dexter Fowler is. So you talk about two guys who are probably getting drafted in about the same range. If not, Jackson a little earlier. Uh, I'm taking Fowler over Jackson 100 times out of 100. They are being drafted pretty much the same range. Uh, 14 picks ahead. Austin Jackson's 14 picks ahead of Dexter Fowler. Um, all right, I was actually that's funny. I was going to say Austin Jackson or Dexter Fowler, Kelly Johnson. Yeah, source of much discussion uh, last year. The guy is starter sit. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm starting him every week. Try me again starter in a month. Sit, uh, Kelly Johnson, but uh, no, I, I like him among those late round uh, second base options because he's proven to be a reliable power source. Um, and the real frustration with Johnson comes with batting average and. To start with the bad news, the last two years, he has, I think, probably as part of his going homer happy, the strikeout rate has gone up a lot in each of the last two seasons. But there's a lot of variability uh, in what he does when he does make contact. And last year, I I think, was just a bad luck year for him. He made, of course, his own bad luck by striking out too much. I think he could improve a little bit in the strikeouts, but while I'm not counting on that, I think he'll certainly get more hits on balls in play this year. And you add that to the power that you can absolutely count on, and I think that makes him a better option than, say, Aaron Hill, Danny Espinosa, Jason Kipnis, that whole cluster of second basemen. I think Kelly Johnson makes his own bad luck a lot, though. That That's my issue here, and, and kind of the point you brought up is where He was so up and down last year, so up and down over the course of his career. Yeah, if he gets back to playing the way he did in Arizona two years ago, he's he's a great value. And, you know, after he went to the Blue Jays last year, he looked closer to being that player again. So I do see the sleeper potential in him, but because there's been so many terrible, terrible years, uh, two or three now in his career, and because... I don't know that I'm necessarily going to be able to trust him on an every week basis. I just feel like I could do better. Would you take Daniel Murphy over him? I would. I know you like him. Would you? No, I'd, I'd still go Johnson. Let's talk about Bartolo Colon. I don't know if I can get on board with this, Al. I know. Hey. I know. If there's anybody in this room that's skeptical, <laughs> well, here's why. I know it's Adam Azer. Go ahead. So last year with the Yankees, this guy is throwing 95 miles per hour in the seventh inning to start the year. He had that that experimental surgery mm-hmm. and everything was going great. 
Then I think he hurt his leg or something like that, right, in the middle of the season. And he was never the same, and he was throwing 90 miles per hour if he <laughs> was lucky. So his velocity totally fell off. I feel like maybe he, the same thing could happen with Oakland. I don't know if he can sustain it for a whole season. He might be a guy, if you draft, you if you get good results, you might want to sell high on him at some point. I don't see him doing it for a whole year. And a- after he was so ineffective at the second half of last season, I don't know that he's going to be able to do it at all. That's just yeah. kind of how I feel. That's you pretty much summarized my <laughs> argument exactly. And I'm not so quick to dismiss his first half. He was really, really good, and he was really good pitching in probably the worst stadium that Cologne could pitch in, Yankee Stadium. Um, the home run splits, 11 home runs and 773 home innings, 91 and a third innings on the road, only 10 home runs. So I know the, the difference in home runs is not a lot, but he pitched a in lot innings, more yeah. uh, on the road. A much uh, That's a, a decent home run rate. And now you're not just going to put him in the end any stadium, you're yeah. going to put him in the stadium in Oakland, which is a great pitcher's park. So I like to think of him as sort of Guillermo Moscoso with an actually good strikeout-to-walk ratio. And that's, you know, Moscoso did really great last year in Oakland, and, and Cologne's just a better pitcher. But he's so old, and it was so unlikely in the first place. I, I just don't feel like I can trust lightning to strike twice. <laughs> I, don't, I just I don't, think, uh, I don't think it's fluky. And I don't even think his second half was as bad. He had a couple of Really miserable starts. I will absolutely agree with you on the, the velocity and the durability. Those are issues. And you know what? If those are concerns, draft them and look to trade them high midseason. I still think in Oakland, you know, with having an offseason to, to rejuvenate, that Cologne is, is going to have a really good, at least first half. I think he's going to have a good year. Uh, you, think he's, you think he's mixed league worthy to, uh, to draft? Late round mixed league, yes. All right. Homer Bailey, is he mixed league worthy? Same thing, but I actually worry a little bit more about Bailey, at least until the Reds figure out what they're doing with the role as Chapman. Um, because, and again, I think, and Scott even said this the other day on a recent podcast, that uh, you know, it really looks like Bailey's job to lose. Chapman still has a lot to prove um, as a reliever, much less as a starter. So I don't have that many reservations about Bailey. Just a little bit of concern that I would wait until very late to draft him. Um, but he has become a much, much more efficient pitcher over the last couple of years. Uh, if he can just kind of get a handle on the gopheritis that's plagued him uh, on occasion, uh, this is a guy who could take an enormous step forward this year. I'm willing to bank on that. Bailey or Henderson Alvarez? Uh, Bailey, again, just because I like his potential better. He's further along in his development. Um, I think he's got a better chance to help you with strikeouts. Um, but I tell you, not that much. Not that much. I mean, Alvarez, you know, I think he's a guy that could pick up on, on waivers in a standard mixed league. And I think sooner rather than later, he's going to contribute in those formats as well. Alvarez. Scott. Bailey or Edinson Volquez? I think I might actually take Edinson Volquez because... You like him, right? And then you mentioned him in in the starting pitcher show? Obviously, he has great stuff, and he's going to Petco. Those are both reasons immediately to consider him a sleeper. Uh, The reason I, I, I like him more than Bailey is because Bailey... Has, still hasn't proven he can stay healthy over a full season, and there's been several seasons now where he's had the chance to. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he's, he's hardly proven when he is healthy. I mean, I consider him a sleeper also, but I, I like Ensign Volquez a little more. Al, your breakouts, please. Breakouts. All righty. Um, we've got uh, – well, this is a really short list here. Um, this is the greatest of the greatest. The greatest of the greatest. Best hits ever. Wilson Ramos. Am I looking – yeah, I am looking at the right thing. 
I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I've, I've actually got my right my right list yep. here. Looks okay. right to me. Yeah, Wilson Ramos, Starlin Castro, Brett Gardner, Cameron Mabin, Jason Hayward, Alan Craig, Matt Latos, and Corey Lupke. Wilson Ramos, is he good enough to be a number one catcher? Yes, he is. And then the thing is you don't necessarily have to draft him as a number one catcher, which is even better. You like him better than Aaron Sibia? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Mabin, thoughts on him? Yeah, uh, Mabin took took some strides last year. Uh, been a guy that where strikeouts have been, been a concern. He's improved in that area. I think there's still other areas where he can show that he can improve, particularly in his gap power. He's shown it in the minor leagues. He's shown it in flashes in the major leagues. So he's another guy who's at an age where he can start to bring those different elements together. And uh, I think he could uh, maybe could take a big step up this year and um, not just be a, a speed guy, but a guy who can help you more in average and power than he has in the past. He's kind of with Austin Jackson for me as far as the strikeout rate goes, and he didn't hit. He wasn't able to hit 280 last year either, so I, I think that he's always going to be condemned to that low batting average. And without the plate discipline or the walk rate, I guess I should say, to go along with it, um, yeah, I'm just not that interested. Maven or Brett Gardner? I would definitely go Gardner. I would too. All right, he is going slightly ahead of Maven. Jason Hayward is very interesting. Uh, Jason Hayward is one of your breakouts. He's going in the Adam Jones, Brett Gardner range, uh, ahead of a guy like Jason Worth. But but Hayward, I, I guess I'm a little surprised at how far he's falling, and I'll try to look up his average draft position while you talk about him, Al. Okay. Thoughts well, on Hayward? And I hope you find that soon it's, because it's that's— 10th and 10th, I can tell you. 10th okay. and head-to-head, 10th and roto. And round, obviously, right? Tenth round, yes. So, yeah, and that's just way too late. Um, and that's kind of my point with him is it just seems like a lot of owners are putting a lot of stock in last season. And I think he's our classic post-hype uh, breakout guy this year that he showed in his rookie season uh, a little bit of what he can do. Uh, the minor league stats still show incredible potential. And I think it, this is a guy who not only gets healthier but learns from some of his mistakes uh, from the first two years. Yeah, his, his mechanics were all messed up last year once he injured his shoulder in spring training, actually. Playing his, with numbness in it and uh, just ruined his whole swing. So spent the offseason getting it back on track, and I'm totally with you as yeah. far as him being a likely bounce back or perhaps even breakout candidate. Yeah, and I was a little off. He's going about a round ahead of Jason Worth, but he's going considerably ahead of Brett Gardner, or no, he's going about a round ahead of Adam Jones. No, round ahead of Jason Worth, and then considerably ahead of Adam Jones and Brett Gardner. There we in go. In head to head, in head to head leagues, yes. Uh, and let's finish it off with Alan Craig. Yeah, now he's a, a bit of a risky guy. Um, this would be absolute uh, late round fodder in mixed leagues. Um, but especially in deeper leagues, a guy I would have no hesitation on taking because he showed last year, especially in the postseason, but even in the regular season, that this is a guy who can just clout, provide you with power. Um, you know, guy you know can also just help you pretty well with the batting average too. But he's got to find a role. But one of my sort of minor bus candidates is John Jay, and I do think that the Cardinals are going to find a way to get Craig either in that outfield, not as a center fielder, but maybe shift Beltran to center or get him in the infield. Uh, they will find at-bats for Alan Craig, and, and you're going to be able to enjoy those power stats on a regular basis. You might be able to get a lot of position eligibility, too, after and a while, right? Maybe that, too, which just be all the better. That would be great. Let's do some emails, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Start out with Jordan. 12 teams, 6 by 6 keeper league. 
Every team is allowed four keepers, which is essentially the first four rounds of our draft. I'm keeping Adrian Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez and no one else, so I get to pick in the third and fourth round, the best of the remaining non-keepers. Last year, I realized I wasn't going to win the league, so I traded some of my players for 2012 draft picks, and because of that, I have three fifth-round picks, two ninth-round picks, and three tenth-round picks. How should this affect my draft strategy? Should I be taking breakout players with those extra picks, like Brett Laurie, Eric Hosmer, Matt Moore, or should I load up on safer guys like Brandon Phillips, Brian McCann, and Paul Canerco? So I think this is an appropriate question for mm. today's show. Yeah, and I think you know that's the nice luxury of having all those extra picks is you can take some risks. You, know, you can stockpile some guys, and if one out of two don't work out, yeah. you know, you're covered. So yeah, go, go for the Upside heavy. Upside, sure. all the way. Perfect. So let's go with Lawrence in Groton, G-R-O-T-O-N. And I looked it up. A lot of Grotons in the Northeast. Could it be in Connecticut? Could be in New Hampshire, New York, Vermont. There might even be more. I have no idea where this guy's from. I just, I just would have thought Connecticut. That's the only one I knew. Then let's just go with Connecticut because I didn't sure. know that it, Groton, Connecticut was even like, you know, no, knowable. <laughs> <laughs> um, keeper league with strong offense but weak in pitching. I own Bryce Harper. I'm thinking of proposing a trade where I would give him up in exchange for Matt Moore. Do you think that would be advisable? Uh, in, in, a, in a keeper league? It, you know, it depends so much on on what exactly what kind of keeper league it is. Is it a deep league where you keep pretty much your whole roster, in which case you're you're talking about mostly long term impact here. Matt Moore's clearly going to be the more significant fantasy option this year. He he might already be an ace, while Harper might not be up till mid season. So more if if it's that kind of situation but if it's if it's a a long term you're stuck with this guy forever kind of situation i'm i'm pretty much always going to favor the elite hitter over the elite pitcher yeah especially when it's a guy who's a number 1 draft pick could be yeah i mean but more is yeah look more i think but... i think they're the number 1 and number 2 prospects according to baseball america entering this season so it's it's you really can't go wrong either way. If your emphasis is this year more, if it's long-term, I say Harper. Here's Rob. I'm in a roto league that allows four keepers. Ryan Zimmerman is clearly my best keeper. I have third base covered. I also have the first pick in the draft. Who would you take with the top pick? Seems like Cabrera's ranking is partly due to his third base eligibility. Yet I won't be using him at third. So, you never know. Zimmerman is yeah. uh, not exactly a model of health there. So. Uh, who who else would he consider taking? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, I'm a little confused because I guess yeah, he's got Zimmerman as a as a keeper, but clearly there's elite guys that are available and yeah, unkept. So that's what's confusing me a little bit. But if if anybody else is available, um, all right, yeah, fine. I, then I'll, I'll, I'll propose, I don't think it matters. I I'll think propose hypotheticals. <laughs> Let's say Albert Pujols is available. Yeah, I'm still taking Cabrera. They're they're close enough at first base that just having the option of playing Cabrera at third at some point is enough for me to to take him first. Let's say Jose Bautista is available. Yeah, same? same same thing. Same deal. Okay, so take Cabrera. Uh, here is Jacob Rosen, Podcast League member. I have one keeper spot left. I've decided to dedicate to an up-and-comer. I'm torn between Jesus Montero and Mike Trout for $7 in a 10-team AL-only Roto League. Jesus Montero or Mike Trout? Uh, I like Montero here. I just think that the guy's power is indisputable. Um, you know, Trout could be a great all uh, overall player, but he's had a little bit more of his ups and downs. So I, I feel a little safer with Montero. I, I feel and, safer Montero now and long term. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Keith in Columbus is in a 12-team Roto Keeper League. 
He's keeping these five guys, which are costing him his first five rounds. Ian Kinsler, Ryan Zimmerman, Hanley Ramirez, Tim Lincecum, Jared Weaver. I'd consider, I've considered going with the stack keeper list with early round keeper strategy before, but I've never done it. This is a pretty standard example. Is it a smart move? So he's basically giving up the first five rounds of his draft and keeping Kinsler, Zimmerman, Hanley, Tim Lincecum, and Weaver. When he could potentially give up lower draft picks for bargain guys, I guess mm-hmm. he's saying. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, I, I think I think it's smarter to play the value guys, assuming you have definite value guys. And I don't see anybody here that's a, a surefire first rounder. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so you gave up your first round pick for a non first rounder, which yeah, so doesn't not, at all make sense. Not loving it. In He's this got case. a bunch of second rounders. Yes. Yeah. Like and Zimmerman, Kinsler, and Hanley. And the first four. Or at least the and first Vincicum. three. Yeah. Um, and and you know obviously it's th- there's a difference between drafting a a first or second round. You know, if you're talking about an elite guy, uh, uh, saving two rounds is about as valuable as saving ten rounds from a middle-of-the-road guy. So, you know, some of these guys might be worth keeping for the price they went for, but um, just keeping your best players in this kind of format doesn't make sense to me. We're done for today. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week. And uh, thanks a lot for all of you who tried to get in the podcast league. There still might be room for an alternate in case any of these punks back out, but we're not (laughs) expecting that. So uh, we'll talk to you next week and see you later.